All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raph Giallo here with you today alongside Ed Leahy of RT Sport Online. You can watch or listen to this podcast every week on RT.ie, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts or other platforms. And this week we're joined by Keith Tracy and journalist David Snade. And also this week we've got live coverage of the UEFA Under-17s Championships on the RT News Channel from Wednesday. Ireland playing Poland in Budapest that day from 3.30pm. And as I said, you can watch that live. Ireland will have Wales on 20th of May and then the last group game against the hosts Hungary on the 23rd. And uh, Keith, that kind of made me look back at your own um, career uh, in terms of under 17s level and uh, perusing it. I saw you were over in a tournament in Japan called the Toyota International Youth Tournament in 2004. Um, does it spring back any memories? Yeah, there's a, a couple of memories. I remember the flight to Japan, I think it was about 11 hours to get to where we were going and we had to fly onwards then to Nagoya, so it was it was an awful long time to get there. But once the once the jet lag wore off and we got into the tournament, I really enjoy it. I had to say, uh, I didn't have any idea that football was so so big in, in Japan even back then. So it was brilliant to go over there and play football for uh, for Ireland at that age group. And you know, it it was excellent just to be to be able to travel and do them sort of things. But yeah, brilliant memories and ones that you probably don't realise at the time, but they're some of the best memories I have now. So excellent memories to be able to look back upon. Yeah, and those type of youth squads when you're part of them, do you just generally keep in touch with those players or there's, there's a bigger bond with that generation of players than maybe players you play with at senior level? I mean, there was the likes of Alan Judge in there, Stephen Henderson as well, was one of the goalkeepers. Yeah, well, I, th- I think you get you have a few more memories because at the time it wasn't it wasn't ultra, ultra professional. We were at that time where... You know, some of us are still, although most of us would have been at English clubs at underage level, we weren't, you know, fully fledged professionals. So on a downtime, we were having a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of fun. So you, you, you get the memories that maybe you don't get when you're in the first team. But yeah, they, they are bonds that are made for life. And I don't, I don't keep in touch with an awful lot of footballers that I played all over my time. But, you know, I, I'm not ultra, uh, I'm not into social media. I don't really have a phone uh, nine times out of ten. So for me, I do have brilliant memories of a book. Personally, I, I don't keep in touch with many of them, but strong bonds are always there with, with underage players. Yeah, and I think you didn't stay in Saipan, though. <laughs> Sorry? You didn't stay in Saipan when you went over? Saipan, no. Jesus, we're going to sidestep that question. Stay away from Saipan, so... Yeah, and actually, I was just perusing the squad, David, actually, um, the, the squad that's playing in Hungary over the next week or so, and all but two of them play their club football in the League of Ireland, which probably just does show that sort of Brexit effect. And um, it's a stark contrast to what it would have been like, say, 20 years ago, say, in Keith's time, where there were a lot mm. more of the squad that would have been involved um, that were playing in England or up in Scotland. Yeah, no, I think what you say is just the effect of of Brexit. And it's also just it's also just another indication of what now has to happen at underage level in Ireland. And we see, obviously, the structures that are being put in place, but also it's just going to be another reminder as well of the challenges that are going to be in place. You see some of the results that say some of the underage teams get, and it tend, tend to can hold, they can hold around a lot of time at, at underage. And it's when they get to these next couple of years afterwards that that's when the difference comes in terms of that full-time level of coaching and when the level of athleticism and all the rest of that comes into being full-time professionals. It's almost these next couple of years afterwards that you'll see the jump because at underage, you know, we see Irish lads and Irish teams being being well able to hold their own and and players being well capable to a, to a certain point. And this is just going to, I think it's just going to reflect a lot of the challenges, that, as I said already, that are going to be happening over the next couple of years with Irish, with Irish clubs and Irish academies where 
you know, again, it's you hate to you hate to talk about it. You have to talk about it. Just the financial side of it that's going to have to come down the line to be able to bring Irish academies up to speed and up to scratch to be able to give those Irish players that are going to have to stay here a bit longer the the necessary the necessary backing to be able to properly progress. You know, it's a uh, we said this before, and it's nice to see some of the Irish lads who do now maybe go abroad a little bit earlier or I've say abroad. So I'm talking about going to Europe because maybe you can't go to, to clubs in Britain because of Brexit. But that's just a similar, a similar kind of issue. That's, that's the exact same issue that we've already had down the years and what Keith would have experienced where he, in his case, obviously going to Blackburn Rovers as a, as a 15, 16, 16-year-old. And yeah, it's great that you see the likes of some young lads now maybe going to, say, an AC Milan or, say, in Kevin Zeffi's case, Inter Milan. And there's lads obviously going, say, James Banquet going to Udinese and obviously an old Festi Abazelli. He would have went, obviously, to England Force in Derby County and then he's gone over. But it's the same, same issue. Do you know what I mean? It's just a bit more glamorous because it's not maybe clubs unfashionable clubs and no, all disrespect heat the like of a Blackburn who would have been in the 90s and 90s would have had serious calibre because of some of the success they had and the finance that would have been behind them it might sound a bit more glamorous now when, when lads are going to different types of clubs in Europe but it's the same issue you know what I mean and that's why it's great now where you see as you say so many of these Irish lads in the 17s who are in the round League of Ireland academies and, and force teams like say Mason Mealy who came on for Pats the other night and look very look, look quite decent in terms of even the physicality side of things but it's just a reminder of the next challenge that's going to be there for Irish academies and making sure that the next step that Irish lads have to take that the pro oh, that the structures are in place for them yeah and just a reminder for people so that uh first Ireland under 17's European Championship match against Poland is going to be on Wednesday at 3.30pm RT News Channel and just going to stick to the international team first before uh, we move on to uh, more domestic matters and it relates to um something Vera Pau said Ed which is in relation to the release of players ahead of the upcoming World Cup so the European Clubs Association directive the players should only be released for international duty 10 days before the start of the Women's World Cup, which from Vera Pau's um, point of view is not ideal. So let's listen to her first and you might just give us a little bit of context. They are not uh, experts in individual periodization. I am. And the program that we put in is not to overload players. The program that we put in is to get players ready and fresh, not only for the World Cup, to, but to make sure that they go back to the clubs and not get injured after. To put us into that position is not really wise, is not protecting the place, actually putting the place in a very unsafe and dangerous situation. If this is going to happen, you can put the ambulances next to the pitch uh, to, for all the ACLs that are going to hospital. So that is Ireland manager Vera Pau speaking to Tony O'Donoghue last week. Ed, uh, pretty st strong comments there and obviously from her point of view, that directive is not ideal. No, it's not ideal. Um, from her point of view, first of all, She's absolutely, absolutely right. Um, there's no way she can prepare her squad and travel to Australia to play in a World Cup with such little time to prepare with the players and then take into account travel, jet lag, acclimatization, um, even the, the the chance of playing um, a couple of warm-up games, as you would see in the Men's World Cup, a traditional Men's World Cup in the summertime. Now, we're not sure. Obviously, a lot of players will be idle at the end of the season and stuff, but with the women's team, they could be playing in different leagues throughout Europe and America. So it remains to be seen when she will be able to take get the full squad together, how many players will get 
early release from clubs, all that sort of stuff. And I imagine, I imagine, a lot of clubs will be very uh, forthcoming and sort of, you know, they'll, they'll certainly uh, they'll accommodate in a way. Of course, they'll want their they'll want they'll, they don't want their players coming back injured anyway. So they'll they'll want the best for the players. And if she thinks it's going to affect them, you know, potential for, for uh, injury, it's it, they'll certainly want to play ball. Um, you just have to look at the men's the men's um, football and go back to last summer and Ireland's international window in in June, and a similar thing happened where the Irish players were idle for six weeks, some of them before the first match, and and then they just didn't perform in the first match. So that's you know that that's just an example, and Stephen Kenny has taken those uh, a different a different approach to this these summer's games with a. A Bristol training camp and then on to Turkey before going to Greece. So, you know, Vera Pio on that front, she's from a footballer front, she's absolutely right. But I think two things the club football in women's football seems to be that bit more advanced and progressive than what we see at international level. We're constantly seeing international level um, issues cropping up from the American team to the Canadian team, going back to our own tracksuit dilemma um back in the day. Um it just seems to be playing playing catch up. And even only two weeks ago to sort of coincide with the Vera Power stuff, um Jenny Infantino is threatening a, a blackout on the five major footballing nations for the Women's World Cup because he reckons that the, the broadcasters aren't paying enough um to to show the to show the World Cup, so you know he used to he used to sort of come as a two two for one deal. If you, if you were right solo for the men's, I think you're not right to the women's World Cup as well. So, you know, it just seems that women's international football is is playing a bit of catch up. And then even if you just go back to the Qatar World Cup, where we see that that World Cup squeezed into the men's season, and suddenly suddenly players didn't get as much time in the in the in the build up, or, and they were coming back quicker. So. It may be a way, maybe just the way international football is going, and you know, there's especially at this stage, there's very little Vera Power can do about it, um, other than hope for goodwill, I suppose, from the clubs. Yeah, and I suppose it also feeds into she wasn't particularly happy about the introduction of the Nations League and where Ireland are going to be when it when it kicks off towards the latter half of this year. Obviously, in League B, when you look at Ireland's progression and they're very much kind of on the coattails of League A standard these days, but they're going to have to fight their way from League B first and then uh, to move up to the next level. But let's talk just about... One, yeah. Just one thing about Vera did mention, and she was very... She stressed that the whole um, potential for ACL uh, injuries in, in the women's game. And that's it's become a theme over the last 12 months. We've seen so many of them. And it's it's an ongoing study as to why it's happening Um it it seems to be a case. There seems hasn't been pinpointed yet, but there's certainly um, pointing towards the the sudden professionalism of the women's game. It, it sort of jumped everything forward a bit, combined with the fact that a lot of women and girls would have been trained as as men. You know, when they were starting off, they would have been given similar train training sessions that the men were trained. So the the women's the woman's body. Uh, is reacting differently to, to these things, and it's a it's a serious serious uh, concern for the for the game because it, it, it's putting um, players out for for a season a season at a time. Let's talk about the SSE or Tristy League Premier Division, and uh, 
Derry City won 1-0 at 10-man balls on Friday night. Dundalk in quite a dramatic ending to their game, beat Cork City 2-1. Cork had a couple of players sent off in the latter stages and then two stoppage time goals, uh, the latter by uh, Patrick Hooban uh, to win it for Dundalk. And uh, Pats beat Drawley United 3-0. Again, some late goals to add a bit of uh, gloss there. McClelland and then Chris Forrester with a late brace. And Shamrock Rovers, top of the table now, 3-0 winners at UCD. And then on Saturday night, Jack Moylan with a hat-trick as Shelburne beats Sligo Rovers. Now, let's start on the first game between Bowles and Derry City and let's listen to the managers, Rory Higgins and Declan Devine. Were you concerned that you hadn't put the game to bed, particularly when you were against 10 men? Uh, we, even 11 v 11, Tony, we were the, we were the dominant team and, and had real control and everything seemed to be in, in, in and around their box. And you're right, we should have put the game to bed, but... We come to Daly Mount Park and won 1-0. Uh, back-to-back 1-0 wins away from home. We'll take it. And now two home games to come, starting on Monday. Yeah, big game. Uh, Monday, Dundalk, 94th and 97th minute uh, in Oriel Park. Um, they've done that a few times, so uh, we know we're going to need to be right at it on, on, on Monday to win the game. and um, Hopefully we can pick up a, a massive three points. Interview with uh, Declan Devine after... A defeat that takes you off the top of the table. I know you weren't concerned with the, the table at this stage of the season, but uh, how disappointing was that? The performance was excellent, um, especially second half. Really disappointed with the referee decisions in the game again. Um, but sure, look, where, we, where, where, where do we start? I didn't have a goal last week. Um, but my tongue. And it just comes back to bite you again this week. You know, we can't get cards out quick enough. A booking after 15 seconds, a send off after nine minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it was. Yeah, we just up against it. But testimony to the players, full credit to them. We thought we were a better team the second half. We thought we were a much better team against the top side. And you know, we're down to 10 men. We're, we're, we're carrying a lot of niggles coming on the game. But I thought our players were outstanding. I agree with you that it was a very early booking, but in terms of the sending off, was that not a, a clear goal-scoring opportunity and was a mistake by your player? Well, for me, it was a mistake, but at the same time, Christian Noack, it's not last man. It's not last man. He's within the goal. He's in the round the goal. So, look, um, again, we just we just seem to be getting punished for everything at the moment, uh, whether it's it's right or wrong. We're, 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 we're just carrying no luck with officials. Some of the decisions they book our players who are borderlining on four or five bookings is ridiculous. Um, so look, we just want a, a, a level playing field and, and to be treated the same as other teams. How difficult then was it to, so early in the game, adapt to having to be down to 10 men? Very difficult. Um, we, you know, we had to deal with it. it was, we had to make a couple of changes. We had to move Buckley to right back, um, which gave us a, a, a problem in midfield. But we got to make sure we suffer the, 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 the emotional discomfort of going down to 10 and still keeping a clean sheet we can't can't go down to 10 and then a few minutes later concede at the back post we got to deal with that better um but at the same time in terms of response i thought we were very brave we put attacking players on we didn't sit on on a low block we went after them and uh, to be honest uh, I, I don't remember james talbot making a save in the game Clark and Twardick in particular made a difference. You brought them on at halftime. Good players off a bench again. I've, I've seen this all along. There's a long season to go and players are going to get their opportunities. We've assembled a really strong squad. And listen, if the last two performances this week against Derry, last week against Rovers, there's nothing that we fear out there in terms of how we've went about our posts and our jobs. Uh, I certainly back our boys in, in any game in this league this year.
Okay, so that is Bohemians manager Declan Devine speaking to Tony O'Donoghue after the 1-0 defeat to Derry City at Dalymount Park, which has dropped balls to third. And before that, it was Derry City manager Rory Higgins. On the Grant Horton red card, uh, Keith, do you agree with Declan Devine's view that it wasn't a last-man tackle and perhaps it should have just been a yellow card? Yeah, probably. But like you say, when he, when, he gets to, when he starts giving the yellows early doors, you're thinking the referee's made a bit of a rod for his own back foot. You can see that Declan Devine is very, very upset with, with the referees. And when managers start saying things like that, you start to think that can filter into the dressing room and all of a sudden players are going out to the pitch with a bit of a chip on their shoulder. So I think he just needs to rein that in. I, I think everything he's saying is right. I think it's true. But to be coming out and saying that into the media, the players are going to hear that, the fans are going to hear that. I, just, I don't think it's helpful. But I, I understand that. I do understand it from, from Declan Devine. Look, it's... From, from a dirty point of view, it was excellent. It really was. To, to win a 1-0 uh, at, at Daily Mount is brilliant. But the big, big moment in the game, when when Horton gets sent off, I think it's the 15th minute, uh, Dirty going scored in the 17th minute at the back post. Just like Declan Devine said, if you can keep them out until half-time, all of a sudden Dirty are thinking, this is going to be horrible. They're going to have nine men behind the ball and we're not going to be able to break them down. When they broke them, it really did break Bowles' back and it was going to be so, so difficult to come back into the game. And Then you're on a knife edge. Do you go and try and hit them on the counter-attack and leave yourself exposed with the numbers that you have? So, big, big balancing act for Bowles. Now, look, I've been very impressed with Bowles, but the last two games have been beaten by, uh, beaten by Derry, beaten by Rovers. And they're probably going to be first and second in the league. And what are them? I'm not sure. I think Bowles will be a, a close enough uh, third, if I'm honest. I think they are the third best team in the league. But, yeah, just, just little basic mistakes here and there. And no shots on target in the 90 minutes as well. And Declan Devine are doing a lot of moaning about the officials, but that would be a part of call of mine as well. As lads. We had four shots in the game, haven't hit the target once. And that obviously needs to change. Yeah, and what you said about, say, Declan Devine's comments about the referees, and like you've been in dressing rooms before, and maybe you, you can hear what a manager says to the media about maybe complaints about refereeing or that there's trends of decisions going against them. Uh, what do you take from that usually as a player? I mean, obviously, in some cases, there there are some debatable decisions. There are some that are more stonewall. I know the penalty against Shamrock Rovers the other week was should have been given, but again, the referee's view of it, um, you know, it, it's a it's a mistake, and these things happen. But as players, what do you take from that? Sometimes you just have to take it as being unlucky because, like I said, it's a very fine line to feeling like you're hard done by and then walking out the pitch like there's a bit of a chip on your shoulder. That, that's not what you want to be going out like. And I remember, like, I've had bad decisions uh, as being part of a team. I remember Sean Dyche saying a particularly bad game at halftime. One of the referees were playing really poorly. And he's just saying, lads, there's no point in having energy, any energy towards us because we can't control that. We can't affect what he does. We can only affect what we do. So don't be losing your energy thinking, oh, the referee is this and the referee is that, running after him, screaming out. Don't bother. Concentrate on your own stuff because it's it's the old saying, isn't it? Have you ever seen a referee change his mind after you scream at him? It doesn't happen. So look, I, I was the worst for it. As a player, I was awful. I was always giving out to the referees. But you have to have a, a bit of more, a bit more educated approach. And like I say, you, you can only control the controllables and you can't control the referee's decisions. So there's no point getting upset about it. Having said all that, Raph, I understand every, everything Declan Devoyne said. It was a penalty last week. Possibly hard to unboy with the red card as well uh, yeah, on Friday night. So I understand everything he's saying, but I think he's wasting a lot of energy on something he can't control. 
yeah. just, just on that, Raph, it's it, the point that, that Keith makes. I reckon as well, with Declan Levine, there's going to be an added element of frustration, the fact that he didn't have a shot on target. Because I was at the, 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 the derby with Rovers the week before, and part of the reason why he came out and wasn't going mad at the ref, even though he did think, he, he, well, he thought Trevor Clark's goal was offside, I wasn't too sure about that. And he mentioned, obviously, the penalty incident with, with Afalabi. But he, he kind of saying, he actually seemed a bit more, he was like, you know what, we just didn't do enough in both boxes. They didn't defend well enough. And in the moments they had against Rovers, he said, he, in particular, he was talking about Paddy Kirk's chance where at the end of the first half where it was put put across from, I actually think it was by Grant Horton, uh, ironically enough, and just didn't score. Didn't didn't get a decent connection on it. It was a good save. But he he seemed to be actually, you know what, we did, he kind of accepted that balls against Rovers didn't do enough. And... I'd say there's another added element to that in the sense that, yeah, he probably thinks the red card is harsh. It's one of them where maybe, you know, it's one of those decisions that I think if it had been a yellow, you you would have, I don't think people would have been on absolutely mad for it to be a red, but then if it's given as a red, people would be like, well, yeah, you can kind of see why. Let's be honest, right? But I just think with, with Declan Levoy, maybe there's just that element, just a bit of frustration the way things have gone over the last, the last few weeks because... Like they have been one of them where you go back to the UCD game where obviously kind of what was he? I don't think he tore strips off them, but he was very kind of upfront about, up front about how the fact that they weren't good enough in that game and wanted a reaction and, and then they got it. But in the last couple of games, it's probably just dipped off a little bit in terms of the, of that performance of that performance level. But I would say the bigger concern, yeah, would definitely be actually making those chances count when they get them and actually being able to have a bit more penetration as well. Yeah, from the dairy point of view, David as well. I mean. Great momentum for them, given the Shamrock Rovers are now sort of on a roll. Um, except the only thing with Derry is they they don't seem to be always able to marry their away form, which is the best in the league, no. with their with their home form. And they've got Dundalk tonight. So obviously for the teams that are going to be involved later um in Europe during the summer, they're they've got a few games um in advance. And this Monday is is one of those. So yeah, Dundalk going to the Ryan McBride Brandywell Stadium for 7:45 p.m. kickoff tonight. But trying to make the most of you know these good nights away from home this it is the issue that they they need to iron out yeah and they're gonna have to if they're gonna win the league they're gonna have to sort it out whether it's a case of like their away form is so good so that'll keep them in the mix for where they are at the moment but if they can't get things right with the home form then they're not gonna put up a challenge with Rovers Rovers will eventually just bit by bit they're already top of the league, but bit by bit, they're just going to extend that lead because you're not going to win the league if you can't, if your home form is that poor. It's just not going to be possible. So, and um, like the thing with the thing with Derry, and even again, when I was on, on with ourselves a, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a good point that Graham Garton made when he was talking about Rovers and the kind of way they were able to use the squad and the way Stephen Bradley was able to dip players in and out. It was out, it was a case of him picking and choosing rather than pure necessity whereas with Derry with some of the injuries they have had and, and players coming back he was making the point Rory Higgins was having to throw lads in just to get bodies out on the pitch to try and have the strongest team wasn't quite able to maybe utilise a squad as well because when you actually look at their the squad and the bodies they have it's, it's seriously impressive you know what I mean it's just about making sure getting them all fit I just think like it's almost the polar opposite of last season with Derry in the sense that last year, even though they've won four, they look at it, they've won four of the last five games. You know, it's they're on a good run. It's just because of maybe how some of the results have gone. That that one result in the middle of all that it kind of threw, threw them off a little bit. And the fact that obviously it was against it was against Rovers. But like last year when they were flying and it was a case of right, well, they're winning games, can they maintain it? It kind of just feels now at the moment, especially with how Rovers now are beginning to crank up. 
with Derry until they can get that full confidence is just show that other side and just stick in it. Like grind out a win, like do what do when 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 Dundalk come up and they'll obviously be flying in terms of the manner of, of, of the way they won their game on Friday, they'll be full of confidence. Just try and grind out a win. Just stay close to Rovers for a bit, get to the summertime if they may to add a couple of bodies or get bodies back and then see where you are. Because then obviously you're gonna have the European games coming in. That's gonna add a different mix to it and, and another element to it in terms of how things are managed. So I just think with with Derry, it is just a case of just almost like you always say, you know, well, you get to a back end of a season, it's the result that matters. At the moment, that's where Derry are at now, is just stick in it, stay close to Rovers, keep that points gap, even if Rovers stay top of the league, stick the points gap to where it is now. And then if you if they can stay in around that before until that maybe last quarter of the season, then it's just going to set up something special at the end of it, hopefully. Yeah, and Shamrock Rovers have Pats tonight, uh, Tallis Stadium, 8 o'clock kickoff, Ed. And I guess the remarkable thing now, they are top now and they've uh, gone ahead of both Bowles and Derry. But given where they were after the sixth round of games, just how quickly they've got to the summit now, I don't know, what does it say about the chasing pack almost as much as it says about Rovers? Look, I think, I think um, as Graham Gardland said early in, Early in the season, I think maybe after two or three weeks, we were having this little chat, and Graham said he doesn't even look at the you know cliche. Don't look at the at the league table until the first round of games are complete, you know. And likewise, Stephen Bradley was uh, was wasn't certainly wasn't showing any sort of panic uh, in any of his post match interviews. Um, perhaps it's just taken over us a little bit of time to, to you know. Just bring in the, the the couple of new faces like the likes of likes of Pooh into the team and stuff. Just a little bit of a you know hitting the hitting the ground again, hitting the stride again, I suppose. But look at the moment they're looking. Um, I, I just can't see any team any team um, beating them at the moment. Uh, you know you, you you lose Jack Byrne for a week, somebody else start, steps up. Trevor Clark has hit a bit of form. He's 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 looking good. I think Trevor suspended tonight, but Jack should be back in. You know this sort of way. So like, there's the quality is there, and they've got the they've got the players to do it. And he, he, I think maybe even some something like what's happening at Sligo could could maybe uh, explain the difference between the chase and pack and and the likes of Rovers. You know, Sligo could probably give Rovers their toughest game this season, and then at the weekend they go and they lose three 0 to Shelburne. Um, and it, it's it's just depth of squad, really, isn't it? it? It's just having the the quality and the consistency to be able to play uh, week in week out. There's obviously a, a few double weeks uh, over the past few weeks as well, which you know will test teams. And I just think I just think Rovers have the resources to deal with it, and they're, they're showing it, and they just just eased their way back to the top of the table. And um, I, I can't see them going anywhere else, especially with Derry's uh, issues, ongoing issues with their with their home pitch. Yeah, and Pat's, uh, David, um, I think you said you were at the 3-0 win over Drada United there on Friday night. And uh, before we touch on, you know, Chris Forster, Chris Forster's goals, you know, you look at his goals record this season in terms of his influence as well amid some of the issues that are going on. And he's been brilliant, but notably the 15-year-old Mason Melia makes his debut and with all the uncertainty and and maybe sense of instability with the manager going, the one thing that they do have on their side is this ability to bring through a lot of good young players. We've seen James Abankwa previously. There's uh, Curtis as well. Uh, there's something, you know, in terms of the Pats Academy, you know, that's one that's one asset that they have that is uh, incredibly fruitful. 
Yeah, and it's they've also been very successful, not just fruitful in terms of producing players, but also in terms of like winning games and, and winning winning tournaments and all the rest of it. And like I know it's a little thing, and maybe it's something that even for for Keith, but I know people talk about say yeah, underage, yeah, courses developing players, but also like if lads at that age are getting into a habit of winning games and actually feeling, you know what, well, yeah, we want to develop and you want to become a better player, but you go out and win and you be successful. That's what is just as important, especially coming through at League of War, it's just as important as, yeah, creating creating a, a good player who, yeah, you might be able to sell. Don't get me wrong. That's the business side of it. Like the likes of, say, Amazing Amelia and clearly all the talent in the world, like, oh my God, when I saw it, I didn't even realise that he hadn't, I thought he had done his junior series. He's, not, he's doing his, only doing his junior series this year. Like, do you know what I mean? Like that's just that's scary, do you know what I mean? But from a business point of view, like they're the types, and you see it with Rovers as well, that like they've been they've been good at it as well. In terms of this is this kind of goes back as well to the point I was making at the start about when we were talking about the Ireland 17s and the academy, like treating it like that side of the business. And it's, it's not nice to say, but these fellas and these kids, they are kids are still, but they're assets, do you know what I mean? As well, and knowing who's the one who you might be able to make money off to then reinvest and bring fellas through. and and then who's going to be the ones that might get in around the sniff of the first team? And yeah, me, like he looked, he looked impressive, and like just the physical, like some of the runs, a little couple of little runs he made, and just little things like just a bit of physicality he had, and awareness to maybe get an arm across the defender to maybe buy himself a yard. Little things like that that actually at that age is actually quite impressive. Um, but yeah, for for Patstown as well, like in in the game itself. I didn't think it was coming. I don't think like, obviously it was a set piece in the end that, that broke the deadlock and it was impressive. But up until then they looked very laboured, you know. But it's just going to be interesting now, just to go back onto that point with the younger players that it's probably going to be the model that are going to have it's going to have to be, isn't it? Where you kind of say, well, who are the ones who maybe you accept? You know what? These aren't probably they're probably too good to even come into the first team, and they're going to be going a bit earlier if it's to abroad or have some deal in place, and eventually they will go if it's to England. But then also, who are the ones that are good enough to? come into a four-team environment at a young age in the League of Ireland. Because it's probably more for Keith in terms of understanding that or how that is for young players because, like, you see it and it, I don't, you've seen, we've already seen a couple of transfers of young lads who've gone to clubs right in England. And with all due respect, yeah, like, it's, it's fantastic to see it and it gets trumpeted and all. But then there's also an element that clubs in England as well, sometimes they just need bodies in. You know what I mean? To fill their academies. And this is just the other way of looking at it as well, where kids might go over, even Irish kids go over at a certain age and they might get a decent contract and all, and they might think, right, that's them set. They're, they're going to make it. Like, they're the next big thing. But it's not the case because over there, sometimes they just need bodies. And you kind of get over there and you realise how, how how much more difficult it is to actually make it, you know? Yeah, just on that, Keith, actually, just the, I suppose, the different sense of, say, you know, you can be the big fish here within this context, but then when you go over to a club in England, then uh, and there's players coming from all over the world. It's a different challenge. Yeah, well, uh, there's two sides to the start. Obviously, Mason, Mason's a brilliant player. I, I had Mason in the 70s last year, and he quickly moved up to our 90s, and obviously now he's moved into the fourth team. But you, you look at it from me, I, I went to Blackburn at 15. I, I didn't play an awful lot of games. I quickly was too good for the, for the under-18s and ended up in the reserves. And, I played a lot of reserve team football and I was flared to the fourth team. So I quickly found myself in, in that sort of limbo where too good for the reserve, not quite good enough for the fourth team. I'm not playing games. Mason will play an awful lot of games if he stays here. Well, he has to stay here now because of the Brexit situation. So although technically I would have, I would have been doing technique sessions two hours every morning, six days out of the week, I'd have been in technique work, technique work. 
it made me fantastically a, technic, a technically gifted player. But Mason will be playing games and Mason will be fighting for three points. Mason will just be in the habit of, yeah, this is my bread and butter. Because reserve games, when, when you're playing these, anybody who's ever took in a reserve game over the years or under 23 games, development squad games, whatever you want to call them now, it's not, the, the tackles aren't full blooded. Most of the time, it's 14 players dropping down that have been injured and they're just trying to get a bit of fitness. So they don't want full blooded tackles. It just becomes a bit like a training exercise. So there's two sides to it. Although I, I was, I got moved through the ranks quicker because I was under the, the manager's nose. Mason will be playing games and people will be keeping an eye on him. The word around St. Pat's Academy is about Mason. Is, he spoke about very, very highly. There's already a couple of suitors lining up for him. So look, Mason just needs to keep his head down, take it game by game and just try and keep a smile on his face because at the end of the day, he's a young, young footballer. Don't want to put too much, uh, too much weight on his shoulders but he has everything he needs to go on and be a professional footballer at the highest level. I'm talking way beyond uh, the League of Ireland. I'm talking anywhere in Europe if he wants to. So, look, it's very hard to say because he's still so young. Big, big obstacles still in the way for Mason, but all the tools he needs are there for him. Yeah, and in terms of role models, the likes of Chris Forrester there, who's also gone across England, he's experienced, I suppose, the, the highs and lows of that before. And he's up to eight goals this season after the, the late brace there against Rada and... Um, I was just looking back through his goal scoring stats over the years and it's the same number that he scored in all of the 2021 season and the highest or the most he'd scored at League of Ireland level was that 2013-14-15 period where he scored 9, 11 and 11. So he's he's definitely having more of a contribution in in terms of uh, his role on the edge of the box or in the box as well. And is there something that Pats are doing maybe that are get, that's getting that out of him or is just uh, his experience is just kind of telling at this certain age, just knowing where to be? I think it's a bit of both. I think, obviously, he wants to make runs into the box. And I know Tim, Tim Clancy, I know he's obviously not there now, but he spoke a lot to uh, Chris about timing time he's run into the box. And the best player to look at it is Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard was brilliant. Danny Young said to midfielder who wants to arrive in the box on time, just look at Frank Lampard's highlights. He times it so, so well. And I, I remember being at the PFA Awards uh, at the end, of, the end of last season and I was coming out of the toilet and I bumped into Chris Forrester and one of the things I was always saying on the League of Ireland TV was if Chris Forrester can get into double figures, it will push Pats up the league. And he, he stopped me and he said to me, Keith, I, I ended up getting the double figures or I'll try and get the double figures. So you think players aren't listening to these sort of things, but they are listening. And look at Chris's numbers. You know, you, you can look at how many assists and how many goals. What he brings to Pats is an awful lot more than just goals and assists. He is Mr. St. Pats. And look, I don't think any, any Pats supporter will thank me for saying this, but I, I do think the, the game plan is quite easy when you come to Richmond. If you stop Chris Forrester, you stop St. Pats. And I, I don't think that's, you know, I'm not giving anybody a great insight there. I think that's that's in black and white for anybody to see. If Chris is on song, St. Pats generally play well and win the game. And if, he, if he's marked out of the game or he's having a bit of an off day, Generally, Pat will suffer. So, look, Chris has been really good this season. His numbers are getting an awful lot better. But like I say, what he brings to the team is a lot more than just goals and assists. His passing ability is brilliant. And with those sprinkling of young players coming in now, Chris's experience in England and just being able to talk to people and that physical approach in the middle, you know, he can mix it physically as well. He's not, he doesn't shy away from that. So, yeah, he, he's a leader. He's, he's everything you need. And like I say, he is Mr. St. Pat if you stop him he will generally go a long way to win the game of football against Pats. Yeah. Just on that, Raph, just, and just to take on, on Keith's point there, because like, that, like it's an interesting one because I, I, I was at that match on Friday but was actually standing on the Comac and it's one of the benefits you're so close you hear a lot 
the stuff and, and other bits. And it does not get me wrong, like like he'll he'll like he'll have a go at lads on that on that pitch. Like, there's a couple of instances with defenders just not passing the ball out quick enough, maybe taking an extra little touch, or even not being like just not not being brave enough to pass out. And he lets them know, like you know what I mean. And I'd say there's lads turning away from him saying, "This fella, would you ever just leave me alone?" There's absolutely no doubt that's probably what lads are thinking. But then obviously he'll pop up. But there's little moments. There's a couple of moments in the in the second half when uh, Anto Breslin's taking throw-ins and there's lads showing for the ball and he's not throwing it to their feet. He's just going down the line with it or he's waiting and he's going backwards. And it's just... it's I know it's only a little thing. It's only a throw-in, right? But, like, it just kind of... Pat's couldn't get momentum and it was just a small thing. They were stuttering or whatever. And Jamie Lennon comes to show and he Breslin doesn't throw him the ball and he goes... I think he went back... I think he went back into the centre-back and... Uh, um, Forrester had a, had a go with him and he's screaming at him trust him trust him trust him throw him the ball even though he's getting put under pressure trust him to throw the ball and like just trying to drive lads forward do you know what I mean so like, it, like I know it probably sounds silly that it's only something like that on him like a throw in but all these little things in a game when you've got a fella driving you on and yeah there'll be times where lads probably think he's all sorts because he's having a go at them and he does put these demands on them but then he delivers at the other end of the pitch but you need that where it's not just acceptable and little things like always take the easy option because you look at Pats like that's one of the things against him you know if you think it's if once it gets predictable and especially like a team and like, like a draw or any team if it's predictable about what they're doing and you're able to just get set and you know right that throw in's going in there they're going to take that time it's going to go back like you've got Gary Deegan organising that draw of the team then and then like it's just very hard to break down whereas when you've got a fella on them putting those demands and it's interesting because he always says he's not a captain for us because he wasn't the captain. Obviously, you know, Joe Redman got his injury and stuff. But even before then, like Forrester said, oh, I remember being at a, an event at the start of the season doing an interview with, with him and Jake Mulroney and he was asked, oh, how come we don't want to be captain? He goes, ah, we're probably the biggest child out of a lot of them. You know what I mean? Probably being a bit self-deprecating uh, about it. But when you see him up close and you hear him and how he, how he does put those demands on those players, that's what you need because the more you take the easy option, the easier it's going to be for the opponents. Yeah, and you, you got to see Drada up close as well. I mean, their their run without a win now stretches to seven, but the feature as we saw against Pats, even though the result, if you read a three nil, it looks really comfortable, they're still staying in games for the most part. Yeah, like it was a strange one. I think up until they had a bit of an outlet with Freddie Draper. I don't know if he was carrying or not. He looked and always been in people have Hog Muffney, yeah, he's, he's looked impressive and like he did. He, he's a serious physical presence up there and he was able to get, get a hold of the ball and was, was being an outlet for them. But he just didn't, they just, again, just lacked that little bit of a, a little bit of a cutting edge and they'll just be raging at the, the manner of how he gave away the first goal because, yeah, I think I think it was around the, around the 80th minute, I think it was, wasn't it, when they, when Pat scored? But up until then, yeah, they were, they were well in the game and, that's like that, but that's the thing. Like you know, what I mean, the game's ninety minutes. You can be in the game for eighty minutes, but if you switch off or if you you drop off and you get punished, it doesn't matter what you've done for the previous eighty minutes. You have to see it through. You know what I mean? Like you have to. There's a couple of moments and it's little things where, like, they got a turnover in the middle of the pitch and they just didn't break quick enough, or the pass the pass maybe out wide or the pass forward wasn't the right option. And maybe if that had been picked differently, they might have had a got into a better moment in the final tour. They just. They just lacked at both ends of the pitch. And in the middle, yeah, they were able to frustrate for large periods, but they switched off from a set piece. And then after that, they just seemed to switch off altogether and then pass run it ran out easy winner. So uh they just have it's easy to say get back to basics, but it's not even just that, it's just making sure they try and see it through. But then again, without being patronizing about it, take out UCD for a second, they're the only part-time team left in the league. Do you know what I mean? So that's where maybe this this comes into it as well. Do you know what I mean? That's not 
to say, oh, do you know what? They're not doing the right work because you, you look at the management team and everyone who's there, it's clear that they would be. But it's just the nature of where they are. Like they're, they're the last of a dying breed in the League of Ireland in terms of where it's going. And spoken about all the academy systems and what's coming through and all the rest of it. But teams like Drotted in the Premier Division, I hate to say it, it's going to be a, hopefully a thing of the past because it has to go full time professional. I know it's changed the course of the conversation that we're having, but that's just the nature of it, you know? Yeah. And. However, despite the defeat, they're five points clear of Cork City, who Keith they can't catch a break at the moment because they were they were going towards this uh, narrow one 0 win at Oriel Park, which would have been a great result. And then <laughs> what happens at the end? I mean, two red cards for uh, two red cards, and then on, on top of that, then uh, two late goals, which were really well taken as well by Cameron Elliott and Patrick Hoban, and the whole thing turns on its head. Yeah, and I feel I feel a bit sorry for Cork. You know, such a such a Big big club coming back into the into the Premier Division. You want to see how they do and going to the dark. Even when I was playing, it's such a hard place to go. And on the Astro pitch, it's just a difficult, difficult game. You know it's going to be difficult. And Cork going up there when when Abbey puts them one nail up in the 90th minute, 19th minute. You're thinking, okay, well, let's see what the dark have now. And you're just looking for you're looking for the updates and updates. And all of a sudden, the red card comes through in the 88th minute. And you're thinking, okay, a few minutes to go. What's going to happen here? One off. Another red card, and then Dundalk going nick it to one in the 97th minute, I think it was. So, look, a Cork would be a real sucker punch for Cork because you know you're in that game, you're doing so so well, and you're looking at the clock. There's five minutes to go. You're still one nil up. 88 minutes, there's two minutes to go, and all of a sudden the team talk has changed. It just leaves such a sour, sour, sour taste in the mouth. But I've heard uh, Stephen O'Donnell saying it was one of his biggest, uh, best feelings in, in management that win uh, Dundalk or over Cork. So, look, it's hard to say, but I think Cork's remit is just to beat UCD. If they finish on top of UCD and get into the playoffs, the relegation playoffs, I think that's the job done for them. So, look, it's far from, you know, a nail in the coffin. They are where they should be in the league and they're showing a bit of fight down there. Some of the football hasn't been bad as well. So, well, it just need a little bit of luck, Cork, and I think they could. Uh, I think they, they will finish just above UCD, and I'll be about the, the relegation playoffs. But them sort of losses can linger with your rap, you know, them disappointing ones. So need to get that out of the system quickly. Yeah, and then the Saturday night game um, between Sligo Rovers and Shelburne, and I think there's only two words really: Jack and Moylan. Uh, albeit, I think Sligo will probably be will feel a little bit aggrieved, Keith, with a couple of decisions as well. Yeah, Sligo will be a little bit annoyed again. We're, we're talking about the, the referees and the, the standard of referee in general isn't great. But I, I don't want to harp on about that. I'd rather, I'd rather talk about the football. But Jack Moylan, I, I've seen him playing for, for Shelburne a lot last year under the spotlight a couple of times. and I, I really like him. I, I think he's, he has that. He has bags of ability. But what the first thing you get out of Jack Moylan is a walk rate. You get a physical presence and you get that little sprinkling of talent as well. And, that's what Damien Duff, I think, demands. I think he demands a walk rate force. And if you, I think the, the one thing Damien Duff would have been saying about Sligo, saying if we can match their walk rate, match their intensity, our bits of talent will shine through. And that's exactly what they did. And Jack Moylan to come out with a hat-trick. Only five shots on target. Ended up scoring three goals. It's uh, it's nice and ruthless. And again, I'm sure uh, Sligo won't be happy. No shots on target. Again, seven shots off target. All the possession in the world. But, you know, it's one one thing that managers and clubs seem to be dominated by now is the big possession stuff. Dominating dominating the ball is not being domination of the game. You know, we can have all the ball in the world, but if you don't hit the back of the net, if you're not ruthless with it, it means very, very little. And half the time, 
he can be your own biggest enemy when you have the ball. You know, we've seen with Pats over the last uh, the last months or so when they keep the ball at the back and it, it's all very slow and they're recycling it. You're your own worst enemy at times. You're, you're inviting pressure and inviting teams on to you. So, Sligo, a little bit of improvement to do with Shelburne, Damien Duff, absolutely excellent. But I, it, I, I always like in Shelburne to look at a Mayweather fight. It's not great to watch. It's not too entertaining. But when you sit down and analyse it, it's very, very rigid and it's very, very good. It's very, very difficult to be. So, fair play to Shelburne. Okay, and uh, before we turn our attention to the first division, next televised games in terms of the Premier Division on RTE will be Bowes against Shells on May 26th, and then the week after it's going to be Shamrock Rovers against Dundalk on June 2nd. But of course, in the meantime, we're going to have the Ireland Under-17s, as we said earlier, on the RTE News Channel starting on Wednesday. And uh, the first division it is, and uh, history made by Kerry FC, their first win at League of Ireland level, 3-2 win at Adlone. We're going to play a clip of the goal, uh, the winning goal um, in a second, because uh, I think it's a little bit contentious. Uh, Bray, Bray Wanderers uh, beat Finn Harps 2-0. Galway United uh, continue to uh, charge ahead at the top of the table. 2-0 winners over Wexford and then Waterford uh, back on track with a 5-0 win over Cove Ramblers. But let's uh, play Ryan Kelleher's winner uh, for Kerry FC at Adlone. And this is from LOI TV. Gadja comes out off the line by Aaron McBride. Oh no, Delino has given it. Delino has given it. It's 3 2, Kerry. Ryan Kelleher with his second of the night and fifth of the season. Kerry go 3 2 in front. We had one similar at the start of the second half where Delino didn't give it. This time, Conley makes the save. I'm not sure if that's in. I'm not sure if it's in. Our tech people might chose that once more. I don't know if they will. Okay, so uh, you can watch that clip on uh, the League of Ireland Twitter channel, or if you're if you're listening to this podcast, you can just uh, watch it on YouTube, and you'll be able to you'll be able to try and uh, gain the evidence yourself. So I might. And you can get... tell by Keith's face; Keith's not convinced. Uh, I it doesn't look into me, and with, like the referee is obviously looking straight down at that. The linesman's flagged as well. You have to be a hundred percent sure to be given that. And I've seen two replays there. The benefit of two replays, and I'm not convinced. Even the player, the player that hit it, doesn't exactly run off the man, and it's a goal. So yeah. I'm not sure, ref. But it's what what it's history, though. It's history. It's Kerry up the man. Just leave it be. Let's move on. <laughs> no, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that because that's the good news. But Ed, uh, in terms of your view of it, there you've seen it a couple of times. Yeah, I think I think I think benefit of the doubt. I think goal. Give it. <laughs> get the get the get, get the boys down there moving. They, God, they needed it. Um, and like they like to say, it'd be no use unless they can go and build on it next week and 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 add another one and I get a bit a bit of momentum going down there during the summertime. Down in Kerry, be be great for uh, great for football if they could get a bit of momentum going. Yeah, I mean, Keith, they're up to five points now, and I think that's the that's the main story. Not whether, it, well, I mean, obviously you want to know if a ball crosses the line or not, but in terms of the where Kerry FC are, I mean, they had to wait a while. Um, you know, they've had great support down there, but they've had to wait a long time now for that first win, and I think they knew it would take a little while as well. The way Billy Dennehy had been talking at the start of the season, so this just takes a monkey off their back now for the for the remainder of the season. I guess when they're in situations like this again, because in the context of the game. Athlone had pulled it back to two all, and you thought this isn't going to happen this time. And then straight away, Kelleher goes and uh, scores the goal, or doesn't, depending on what your view of uh, of that shot is. But it's it's great for them. 
yeah, look, from a from a Kerry point of view, they won't care. They really will not care whether the ball was over the line or not. They're, like you say, Rath, they got the first win. They're up to five points. And it's great for the league. We all we all wanted, when Kerry came into the league, we were all interested to see how we do. And the realists among us all knew it was going to be very, very difficult for them to, to amass any sort of decent number of points. But five points out of 14 games, they, the minus 27 goals. So... Look, it's it's a massive, massive job down there. And I, I played with Billy Dennehy at St. Pat's. I played with brother Darren as well. And Billy was Billy was a very, very quiet player. He, he would get annoyed at times and he would get a little bit melty then. But, but he he's I think he's been really good in the media. The way he set his style out, he's he's told everybody from the start it's going to be a difficult season. We're looking to walk from here. It's it's you know they're, they're going to challenge in matches, but. Aklan are sitting fifth in the league. They've nineteen points. So to go and beat them the way they did, Rafa, I think is excellent. So. Hopefully they can build and hopefully we see something but well, they're already 11 points behind Finn Hearts who are in nine so very, very difficult but look, if they can just compete in games I think they can get a bit of, bit of confidence on that and maybe build on, on just good performances not necessarily the results but just having patches of performances will, will be enough for Kerry moving forward. Yeah, and David, just before we move on to the remainder of the podcast, Ronan Cochran, I think, is also worth a mention in, in the division for Waterford. I mean, he scored again um, at the weekend, and that's taken him up to 16 goals in 13 games. And obviously, most of his career has been in the Premier Division to date anyway, so we know what type of quality player he is, but um, he's been excellent this season. Yeah, he has, and he should be like I don't mean this in a bad way but like you know Waterford we're talking we talk about Drotta being part time you know like Waterford, Waterford as well as Galway are two of the full time teams and with all due respect like a player like him who could easily be a Premier Division player so you're thinking well what's the issue there why is he not getting into a Premier Division club lads who you know a fellow who can come in and, and do a job and, and make an impact because he's he's shown flashes of it before like don't get me wrong, he's he, the the some of the the goals he's got and the the streak he's on is, is seriously impressive. But it's kind of like you almost kind of expect him to be making this kind of in, an impact. Do you know what I mean? Like I know we got player player of the month. I'll be honest, I'm kind of thinking what he's doing compared to maybe what some lads in the Premier Division are doing and the standard that they're at. I don't think there's a correlation. Like I know, obviously, there's a lot of more positivity around, but obviously with the the increase in attendances throughout the league and, and, and I mean Premier and Force Division but you look at kind of what Waterford are doing and the backing they have and the calibre of play- people now that they have involved there as well like they're doing exactly what they should be doing do you know what I mean do you know they're going and they're being impressive and they're winning games and like they're beating teams who in, in some part obviously are part time are amateur as well do you know what I mean and that's not to denigrate other teams it's, it's not it's just a case of if you've got that environment that they're working in and the caliber player, that's exactly what they should be doing. Do you know what I mean? It's like, well done. Like, I know not, not to be really keen about it, but you're doing your job. Do you know what I mean? So, I don't know. Like, like with Waterford and Galway, like the way the nature of how Galway are doing as well, like you'd expect Waterford are still, no matter what the fact that they're flying it with the results that they have and all the rest of it, because of how Galway have started, like they're still probably going to end up in that playoff. You know what I mean? So, that's going to be an issue, I suppose, maintaining that. The only thing I can see with Warford dropping off is if they actually realise, well, they're not going to win the league. So does that do their levels drop a little bit because they know they're going to be in the playoff? Do you know what I mean? But, yeah. Yeah. Sorry if that's a bit down. If that's a bit down on it with Holland But I just kind of think, well, do you know what? The way you're the environment that you're walking in, this is what you should be doing. 
Yeah. Uh, in the women's Premier Division, uh, Shamrock Rovers won 1-0 at Lone. Wexford lost 3-0 to Bowes, which is a big result for Bowes there. And then Cork City lost 2-0 home to Sligo Rovers, who have their first win of the season. And then Treaty United were beaten 1-0 by the leaders P-Mount and Shelburne. The reigning champions beat DLR Waves 2-0. And while it does to the table, P-Mount United on 22 points, Shamrock Rovers on 21, Shelburne on 19, Galway, who had a bye week, also on 19. And then Bowes quietly having a really good season as well, up to 18, and then ahead of Athlone and Wexford on 13 and 12, respectively. And I suppose, Ed, it's, and we were talking to Anthony Pine about it last week, but it's such a hard league to predict. I mean, the the level of teams is so close in the in the women's premier. It is, and it's making great viewing, really, isn't it? Um, as as the sort of season progresses, you've got, I think, what is it, five teams within four points of each other, you know, and I suppose it's great to see a classic team like P-Mount still sort of leading the charge ahead of, you know, the now established League of Ireland clubs. Um, Rovers, as expected, have, have started well, and they probably started better than, than they even expected to, to hit the ground running, but... Um, you know, then it's it's just as impressive than seeing the likes of Galway uh, getting getting the rewarded for their their endeavours because they're they're playing good football and they're, they're putting a good team together. I think Jenna Slattery was named Player of the Month for April and she she's been playing really well and uh, it just shows there's a quality a good spread of quality across the league and uh, I think it, it's just making for a really interesting season. Yeah, and then returning back to the international team, so that Seamus Coleman underwent successful surgery. Um, obviously there was the knee injury at the game against Leicester a couple of weeks ago, and which has ended his Premier League season. And one would imagine, with the way Sean Dyche said he he should be fit for next season, rules him out of the the June games for Ireland against recent Gibraltar. Now, I was just thinking about some of the options that are there, Keith, uh, in terms of who can step into the squad. Obviously, Matt Doherty is, um, the uh, the designated starter at right right wing back, albeit he's not getting much at, or any game time really at all at Atletico Madrid since he moved there for I think a couple of games and just a few minutes in each. But some of the other options that could be drafted in, um, you know, the credentials of someone like Andy Lyons, who's done reasonably well at Blackpool, or Fessy Abasele, who's now getting a good bit of game time at Udinese. Do you look at those as sort of options to bring in and bring into the squad for June to I suppose give them that little bit more experience of um senior international football, even if they don't actually get onto the pitch? Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say, Raph. I'd, I'd have no problems with Andy Lyons coming in. I think I know Blackpool have obviously had a poor season, but individually, I think he's done very, very well, just cutting his teeth into, into the English professional game. Quite impressive as well, popped up with a few goals. So if Lyons was to come in like you, Raph, I, I'd be happy. I don't think he'd start, but just because it's too deep, the water's too deep, these are qualifiers, these are big, big games, and having not played for Ireland at all, Never been in a, a training camp before. He's not. He's not tasted it. So, you know, if you were to put him in and he didn't do well, you would feel a personal responsibility to him. You don't feel like you're testing him at that level. Although, looking from the outside in, it looks like he would be very, very capable. But you feel like it, you owe it to him to give him a few minutes in a friendly or forty-five minutes, you know, whatever it is in a friendly, just to test him. But I think Doherty will play. I know he hasn't had an awful lot of football. I think it's need most at this at this point. He will play. Uh, we'll probably go with the three centre halves and try and, you know, whatever we do over there. But it's going to be very, very difficult with the heat against Greece. We're going to have to keep the ball. We can't be losing it easily. And Greece are not as bad as people think they are. I think the weather will be a level. I think we are a little bit more talented than them, but the weather will uh, will, will be a great level on that day. So ball possession will be at a premium. And 
yeah, Fanny Lines was to come in. I, I, I would actually, I think Stephen Kenny should bring him in. I think he's been that good, but in terms of playing him last night, I think that's a step just too far. Yeah, and it isn't generally the Kenny way anyway. I think generally when he brings players into the squad, it's not to rush them straight in. So obviously Doherty will definitely start if he if they're if uh, you know injury permitting and everything else. But um, David, just on Fessia Baselli, interestingly enough, because I know one of your colleagues in the forty two was speaking to him about a month or two ago, um, just about his time at Udinese in in Italy as well, and he was getting a lot of substitute appearances earlier in the season. And then a few weeks or a couple of weeks ago, I was watching the the game where they were playing Napoli, the night Napoli uh, sealed the league title and the starting right wing back ended up getting an injury. And since then, Ebersele is now starting games and he's still quite raw, but there is a sense that he is trying to, you know, he's focusing on that whole tactical adaptation. And like Italy is probably as good a place as he can go to, to do that in terms of the style of the league. Yeah. And then... Like you're kind of correlating that with, say, Ireland chances and all, and like what, what Keith was saying, like it's one of them where he's been in and out of the senior team. He was in for the squad, uh, he was in for a couple of squads, didn't get into one of the match day squads, dropped back, back down to the 21s, obviously got his move. Some people and then were saying, oh, you know, he was because he was flying with Derby and he was playing in various positions and he got his move to Udinese and said maybe it was the wrong time for it. And He's just one of them where he's got a new over there. He's buying at his time, kind of getting the like any like any like any player maybe who comes in and unless you're maybe an A list or type of player who has to earn the trust of a coach and know exactly what how to fit into a system that's that he's been needed and maybe he's getting that towards the back end of a season and because of the position he can play in and because he's in the mix he could be someone who might be in with a show for for Ireland for the net for the next squad because obviously he has been in and around that environment and. He, Stephen Kenny knows what he what what he's like around the place and can also add to the fact now that he's he's getting a bit of game time. I know in the last squad, wasn't it the, the lad Sean McLaughlin, a whole a whole see he was got a new contract there. He was one of the players who was on on standby as well in terms of defensively. And I know he not would tend to play on the opposite side, but he could be an option. Stephen Kenny was asked before, just on the Andy Lyons one as well. He was asked when Andy Lyons was still at was still at Shamrock Rovers about the chances of him going from the, making that jump from the twenty ones up, and not that he caught hard cold water on it, but he was kind of saying that he was actually more so looking at someone like Neil Ferrugia because he was kind of highlighting his maybe a bit more athleticism about him and maybe more powerful running that he that he was looking at, and you look at it for Ferrugia at times has played on that on that opposite side, but again, I think it could be a bit of a stretch coming in. Let's keep making the point. The fact that it's a, a competitive qualifier in such a big game, um, but with, with Ebiselli, I think he's definitely won. And again, I'll be honest in terms of seeing him and seeing the games, I haven't seen a full ninety minutes of him of him playing in terms of getting a sense of how he's actually properly doing. But because he's now beginning to play and he's clearly got a, a bit more of the trust of, of the manager, and because he's already been in in the mix with Ireland, you would think that he would be, I suppose, next man up. And then you look at you look at uh in terms of, of players as well, like Liam Scales. Do you know what I mean? Like in terms of Aberdeen, I know he's had a couple of moments, but you go back to when he, before he went to Celtic and in and around that time at Celtic, he was in the mix a little bit as well. So there could, there necessity and needs must, might mean someone coming in from the cold a little bit for this game and, um, and well, for the, the two games, you know. So that's going to be another one just to, to keep an eye on, I would say, over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, certainly will be. Incidentally, I was talking to, and it was actually similarly to the piece you did with uh, Dr. Kevin O'Grady. I was talking to Andy Lyons about three weeks ago as well, just in terms of uh, his development. Very impressive in terms of how he views the game as well. I mean, when you actually sit down and talk to him about, you know, breaking down where he, where he's at in his career and everything else. 
you talk to him and like it's one of the first things it was one of the first things that Stephen Bradley even brought up and even it would have been obviously Keith Long would have would have realised it too and would have seen it too in terms of he's just a player who switched on in terms of you tell him something once and he understands it he gets it he's not one of those where you have to do loads and loads and loads of work out of necessity on the training pitch like obviously you work on things and you do stuff repetitively and all the rest of it as, as coaches would, would have to do but Andy Lyons is someone who just you tell him something and you, he kind of understands why you kind of explain something and he, he just cops on very quickly. He's one of those players and he just seems to, yeah, again, I spoke with him myself over for different bits of interview. I did a piece on just just not long after he'd gone to Blackpool and it was actually the week that Blackpool um, sacked their previous manager, uh, Michael Appleton, wasn't it? Who we brought him in and it was that day Mick McCarthy was appointed and chatting chatting to, to Andy for his piece and just very clued up, just very understanding of the profession he's in, not going over there wide-eyed, you know what I mean, in terms of keeping my knob with the bright lights of Blackpool, you know, that can turn people's heads. But uh, he just seems to be clued in, you know, and that's, I know it sounds very simple, but that can, that can bring you a long way in football if you actually have that, that attitude going over there, you know. Yeah, and Keith, in terms of Jason Knight as well, um, just last week, his uh, contract at Derby, or at least the, the extension was triggered. Um, but there is a sense that he is going to move on. I mean, he's he, he's done well um, at League One level this season, but everyone, I think, is well well aware that his level is much higher than that. So um, I know Conan Byrne, uh, back at the start of the season, we talked about... Um, uh, about night and at that point I think he was playing a lot of right back just out of position but he, since he's been restored to midfield um, both internationally and club level I mean what's the next step do you feel for him in terms of his his career is it championship maybe go abroad I know Werder Bremen were interested uh, last summer um, or is there even a possibility in terms of his immediate ceiling maybe sort of lower end Premier League like where do you see it? Uh, well, I think with, with the way agents and everything is these days you probably could nick a, a lower end Premier League team and move to a, a lower end Premier League team but I think the best thing about Jason right now with the age he's at is to whichever team he's going into it's very hard to go in and say you want assurances that you're going to play but you want to have a good feel that the manager wants you that you're fitting into everything and I think that a lower lower end Premier League team or any Premier League team I think that might be a bit of a struggle for Jason right, to, to nail down a play so for his development I think he should go to a championship club or, you know, like you say, a Bertrand Bremen or something like that. And you look at what Fulham is going to handle and coming back over to the championship now, we found the route back into the Premier League. You'd be looking at something like that to try and get a, a, the same sort of pathway. But I've been, I I like Jason. I, I really do. I, I think he's, he's that little bit different to Maloney that he, he will run around. He'll give you everything in terms of 100% on the pitch. And you see him once or twice. He has a nice little touch on him. He, he is a player. Sometimes we forget that these lads have a bit of ability in them. We, we so very rarely see it in the middle of the pitch for Ireland, but Jason Knight does have that little bit of magic in him. So, yeah, I think a decent, strong championship club, maybe somebody who's going to challenge for, for the playoffs would be ideal for him. But, you know, like I said, I wouldn't be averse to him going to Europe, right? because in my time, agents and, you know, mothers, fathers, everybody was dead set against it because if you went to Europe and you didn't play well, you were very, very quickly forgotten about But That's not the case these days. So, you can, you can, uh, you can throw the dice a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, throwing the dice, uh, David. I think we might uh, might let you go now. I think you're you're in a bit of a hurry. Oh, the have to do a scale run here. Uh, could be a little bit delayed. So, no, thanks very much, lads. A pleasure, pleasure to be on. 
Good stuff, David. Best of luck. Oh, what a, take care. Yeah. And uh, we're going to, we, we do have Champions League coverage this week as well. Of course, the second legs or semi-final uh, second legs. And uh, on Tuesday night, uh, Ed, we've got Inter Milan against AC Milan and RT2 and the RT player. But there's a sense that the tie is over. And then you look at AC Milan at the weekend losing to Spezia. And then there's this big conference on the side of the pitch where the ultras are having a, let's just say a conversation with the players and all doesn't seem well there. Yeah, that was it was uh intriguing, isn't it? You can't you just can't see that happening at an English club. It, but it happens it happens in Italy all the time. I know, I know it's a it's a big part of the culture, the, the ultra culture and everything. And uh, you know, they were listening, like whatever he was saying, and then maybe it was just telling them, you know, you're all a great bunch of lads and we love you still, but they were listening and they were quite serious and then they nodded their heads in agreement at the end of it. But um uh, Look, the, the first game against Inter, the God, they, they couldn't have played any worse in that, you know. Um they were they were just they, at least they still have a, a fighting chance of, of getting back into it now. But um, you know, to have a joke about it, Inter were playing like the like the home team, you know, <laughs> in a, in that match. But uh, it was um it, it was it was it was really one sided and I just think I just think it could easily flip in, in in the opposite direction. I, I don't think either team are strong enough to be that dominant. Um, I was very impressed with Inter's uh, forward and attacking play, especially just the way they led the line well and, and with the link up play was really was really good. Um, I, I I just think Milan have the quality that they could maybe get back into it a bit quicker. But you know, you, you still get the sense that uh, the the final is is the other game. Essentially, yeah. And that other game, uh, Keith, I mean, Man City-Real Madrid was gripping enough last week and the quality of the goals that were scored, Kevin De Bruyne as equaliser, Vinicius Jr. Uh, before that, you know, two cracking goals and obviously the, the match goes to the Etihad now and City are on a roll, at least domestically. And, and I know sadly for yourself, Arsenal and their title race, that that is, that is I think, more or less over, if not mathematically. It's certainly uh, in every other sense um, how do you see this going? Because it's hard, you know, I would have Man City favourites uh, if it was me personally, but then Real Madrid in Europe, you know, you can't, um, there's no way of predicting what they're going to do. And usually they come out on top. Yeah, it's um, like, I'd be like you, Raph, on paper, you, you're going back to Manchester City. Uh, the draw over in Madrid isn't a bad draw from a, from a City point of view. But, like you say, with, with Carlo Ancelotti and this this Real Madrid team, they don't seem to care what the other teams do. Like everybody was t- talking about Manchester City having so much possession in the first leg, but Real Madrid don't care. You know, to, to have the likes of a Modric, a Benzema, Vinicius Junior, who don't they, they're players, they want to have the ball, but for somebody for them to just say, Yeah, you want Davidson, no problem. When we get the ball, we will hurt you. And you know Ancelotti as a coach, he will tell them where to be defensively, tell them what sort of setup he wants, but you know when he wins the ball, he's not telling Modric, he's not telling Benzema, he's not telling Vinicius Junior what to be doing. That's just off the cook stuff, and that's why they're so so good, so hard to so hard to keep out for ninety minutes. And the one thing about I, I make Manchester City favourites because Manchester City haven't conceded more than one goal since the nineteenth of January in any competition. They conceded the odd goal here and there, but never more than one since the nineteenth of January. That's that's a huge huge stat. So. Defensively, Manchester City are outstanding. I think Benzema, somebody, Vinicius Junior, will get on the score sheet, but I think City might get two or three on the night, and that'll be enough just to get them past it. But I have to say, I'm really looking forward to seeing Haaland against Rudiger again. I thought the, the physical battle 
like it, it's sort of an old school thing now. You don't see centre halves and strikers going at each other, but Haaland doesn't seem to shy away from it. I love his attitude, just laughs and, and gets on with it with people. But and the one thing from a from a Manchester City point of view, if Kyle Walker plays right back or John Stones, they like that inverted right back going into play in midfield. Vinicius Junior is going to be hovering around in that left wing spot. So as soon as they win it, transition is going to be massive because we know how quick Vinicius is. He can be in behind the at the drop of a hat and hit the back of the net. And obviously Benzema will just be picking up lovely little holes here and there. So there is big, big dangers for Manchester City in this game, but I can't see past them for some reason. I think defensively they will be breached, but Haaland, De Bruyne, Grealish, Bernardo Silva, that the likes will just, just get them over the line with maybe two or three goals on the line. Yeah, and Rudiger, I guess he is one of those type of players you'd love to have in your own team, but he would uh, he'd drive you mad if he's playing for the opposition. Um, you know, he seems to love defending and uh, you know, so this was getting under the skin of the opposition. Haaland probably enjoyed it in one way, but certainly uh, he wasn't able to do much in Madrid. But I just wanted to ask you about Ilkay Gundogan as well, because he finished last season really strongly when City needed to get over the line against Liverpool. This time he's the one popping up with goals. I mean, his goal yesterday um was you know that was it was an unbelievable finish the one he sort of flicks behind him um against Everton like I mean what is it about him because we look at the physicality of all the players around him the likes of Kevin De Bruyne or Haaland or the you know the you know Rodri or whatever he's a small guy technical player but yet he's almost the biggest guy in the in the run-in usually yeah he he just seems to deliver when the chips are down all the time he sort of goes under the radar very underrated in this manchester city team individually he's an outstanding player but like you say he sort of gets lost with with the bruyne grealish mares Foden, all these players he just gets lost in the mixer but i heard Pep guardiola talking after the game and he said he's the one who won us the league last season and it looks like he's going to be the one to win us the league this season and to go to go back to that fourth goal against everything that like, I can't begin to explain to you the level of technical difficulty that, that was there. That, that ball comes fizzing into him. He has a, a centre-half on his left shoulder. He controls it with, the, with his right quad. And then I, I, actually, I get a pain in the hip when I see him doing that rotation because I just wouldn't be able to move like that. So it's all, he's obviously takes care of himself. He stretches, doing yoga, whatever he's doing to get that rotation in the hip. I mean, Sean Dyche breaking down that goal. He's probably saying to Tarkovsky, you're in a good position, your, your goal side, you pin the ball. And just to rotate your hip like that is, is crazy. Not an awful lot of power in it, but brilliant improvised skill. And like you say, he, he is an outstanding player. And there's rumours he might be leaving. And I, I, I'd be dead set against that. But this Manchester City team, it doesn't really seem to mind who goes. Joe Cancelo left in January for Bayern Munich. And you're thinking that could be a big upset. But they just keep churning out player after player. But Gundogan will go down as one of the greats, if not, you know, like you said, it, it's quite poor that he doesn't get the, the prodigy he deserves because he, he's outstanding in there. Probably doesn't score the amount of goals that the other lads do, but the goals he does score and the performances he, he puts in are generally top-notch. Yeah, and I suppose before we go, Ed, just on the, the Premier League relegation zone, seeing as everything at the top, bar the top four race is done, um, you know, Everton hovering just above, Leeds are just below the, the watermark as well, and uh, Leicester playing Liverpool tonight, and you know, Leicester actually have a reasonable record against Liverpool. Like what way are what way are you going in terms of who's uh who's sinking and who's uh staying afloat? Funny, Rafa, I, I grew up big Everton fan, you know, as you have to pick your team in England when you're was kid. this when, when was this when they were good in the eighties? It's during the great era, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was in fairness. They were a great, great, uh, a great team. 
Um, my father still blames Liverpool fans for getting Everton banned from Europe and uh, missing out on the chance to win the European Cup, which they probably had a very good chance of winning back that year. I think it was 86. But um, on more pressing matters, I, I think you just have to fancy the teams with the points at this stage. Like There's, there's, so, there's so many bad teams. Um, I was watching Leeds playing last week and they couldn't hold on to the ball. They couldn't pass the ball. They couldn't do anything with the ball. They were just they were just awful. And Everton, Everton have two, I think, easy enough games to to finish with. Um, I think West Ham played a B team at the weekend, but we're sort of relying on. I think they're relying on Leicester to be beaten tonight, and they'll they'll be okay then. But I I think I think the three that were there, um, are probably going to go. Yeah, we we'll see. It's hard to predict these are. It'll definitely go to the final final day anyway. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see if uh, the if Everton like Everton used. I remember in the nineties, uh, Everton used to always be kind of bobbling above the the surface, and they've always survived. And uh, we'll see if they manage this time. But anyway, uh, that's it for this week's podcast. Um, as I said, we've got Champions League, AC Milan against Inter Milan uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday, and then also the Ireland under 17s first game. You can watch on the RT News channel on Wednesday, but uh, that's it for this week. Anyway, Ed Leahy, thanks a mil for coming on. Uh, obviously, thanks earlier to David Snade and Keith Tracy. Thanks for coming on. Yeah.